Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast podcast. This is episode this one. I think it's episode 11. Uh, the last one I did was Clayton Anderson, the astronaut. He was awesome. We did Barry Warner before that. Check out all the Deceptively Fast podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else. And while you're there, go ahead and give me a rating. Five stars would be appreciated if you see fit. Uh, it seems to matter, at least to some people. And it, uh, frankly, it matters to myself. I tweeted out while I was on vacation last week that I was going to do a question and answer podcast. So I asked for questions and it's been about a week now. So I'll get some of the easier ones to answer right off the bat. Let's see. Uh, easy eight milligrams asked, will Kyle Tucker get called up in July? Yes, I believe he will. He was called up this weekend. And after, uh, after going over four at the plate, he ended up settling in and I'm uh, recording this on Monday evening. So We'll be more to come. You also asked who's going to be sent down. It'll be Jake Marisnik. If I were recording this on Wednesday, I would have predicted that anyway because Tony Kemp has done a really good job. Um, let's see, other questions. Do you test all of the things you hawk on the air like sildenafil? Uh, as many of you who listen to Rad Radio might know, I do advertisements, or at least I used to. I don't know if they're going to sign back up for football season again, um, but for – uh, they do, they, they advertise sildenafil for $2 a tablet, which apparently is like $38 cheaper than what you'd normally pay for name brand Viagra. That one I have never had to try out, knock on wood. I think my, I think my wife might punch me in the jaw if I tried to go longer. Uh, not like, not that I'm anything special or anything. It's just, we've, we've been married for 16? 16 years. We've been married for 16 years. I Look, I, I know what I can do. She knows what I can do, and it's all good. But I don't I don't test the sildenafil because I'm not advertising the sildenafil necessarily. I'm advertising Marley Drug where you can get sildenafil for just $2 a pop, and you can spend the other $38 on all the other things that both complement and or lead up to the sexual encounter and uh, or just put it in your 401k. That's uh, There's no more powerful and aphrodisiac than sound money management. Uh, do you, let's see, do you think Watson has a chance to make it three MVPs? I think uh, the question about Deshaun Watson making it three MVPs, somebody, I think somebody when I was gone, either a caller or maybe even a host, it must have been a caller said that the that trading a pick for Deshaun Watson um, uh, is going to be a failure unless he wins three Super Bowls, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Because uh, there are so many great quarterbacks that have never won three uh, they've never won three Super Bowls. I think if if Deshaun Watson ends up being a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback who can stay healthy from year to year, I think that alone is worth the price of admission. Uh, Arnold. One of my favorite listeners. Uh, I don't know how to. Pr- I always say, 
Exus Sanchez. Like I, I read that as Christmas Sanchez. I don't know if that's exactly what you're going for. But uh, thoughts on the Warriors getting Cousins? I think I'm a little late to the party on this. Everybody freaked the hell out about DeMarcus Cousins going to the Warriors, and it felt like it's just unfair because the Warriors get everything. Look, nobody else had offered DeMarcus Cousins a contract. At best, he took like a $3 million pay cut the, from the $8 million that he would have made elsewhere. Uh, and that's what's happened forever with good teams, whether it's the San Antonio Spurs or the New England Patriots or the Miami Heat with Ray Allen or any of these other championship teams, veteran players go there. And I'm not all that convinced that DeMarcus Cousins is going to be better than 80% of whatever he was uh, this past year. Where let's, let's not forget either that though he was great in New Orleans this year, it's not like it's been one long smooth steady ride with DeMarcus Cousins it's been a shit show excuse my language a whole lot of the time and this is a guy who's going to be coming back from Achilles tendon surgery one of the one of the potentially most damaging injuries in sports I know it's gotten a lot better and guys like Terrell Suggs have come back and been great afterwards but it's just it's never simple for big men in the NBA especially when perhaps their diet and work ethic are somewhat suspect to begin with. So it it makes them better for certain specific situations in the playoffs, and that's bad, I suppose, for the rest of the league. But I don't think that this all of a sudden turns the Warriors from, oh, oh yeah, the team that almost nobody had a chance of beating to what? Another team that almost nobody has a chance of beating? So be it. That's life in the NBA. Steph Curry's got to stay healthy for an entire season. Well, he doesn't have to stay healthy for the entire season. But I'm still... I'm still convinced that he's on a ridiculous four-year stretch of good luck here with his health, but for that one year in the finals where he was still a little banged up from his Rockets running. Let's see. Best and worst vacation stories. If I were to go with my best vacation stories, I the one that sticks out in my mind was when my family lived in North Carolina and we went to the amusement park. I think it was called Carowinds. And... We camped there, and I just – it's one of those things that from your childhood where you you were too young to realize all the bad things that are going on with your family because I know it wasn't good at that point. But you go to an amusement park, and it is just this magical world where all the fantasies are real and everything can be awesome. And I remember standing on the state line there. You could straddle the state line between North Carolina and South Carolina. And that was just the coolest thing in the world. That just blew my mind that I could be standing in two states at the same time, which uh, seems like a pretty obvious and, and easy thing to comprehend now. But when you're like five years old, it's the best thing in the world. And um, that was that was probably one of my best vacation memories. Various times watching fireworks on the 4th of July – I, I think for a lot of reasons, um, whether it's whether it's patriotism, whether it's just the fact that it's summer vacation, it's not so early in your summer vacation when you're a kid that you're sick of summer vacation and football hasn't started yet, which is another dreadful thing for a lot of kids, I think, is going out in August and starting to play football again when you're 10 years old and, and you're not quite sure why the wannabe Vince Lombardi football coach is screaming at you while you're supposed to be having fun on your summer vacation. Fourth of July, various fireworks displays I've watched, including uh, Rhode Island. I was in Rhode Island visiting my great aunt and great uncle. My brother and I were walking down the street, and all of a sudden from around the corner comes the, the tallest human being I'd ever seen in my life. 
and it was Minute Bowl. Uh, my brother recognized him because I think he had just been on the Sports Illustrated cover not too long before that. And he look, he was seven foot six. So if you were a, if you were a mild sports fan, my brother was a huge enthusiastic sports fan. He was a little bit older than me. We got Minute Bowl's autograph. We followed him into a bar because it was just my brother and I. And I might have been I don't know sixth grade. My brother was in eighth or ninth grade. Uh, but but my brother had the balls to just follow him into this bar, and we got his autograph. And it was it was bowl, all caps B O L, and that was it. I don't know if he could spell his first name in English yet, um, or how long he'd even been in America at that point. But I I still I've never seen a human being that tall and yet so frail. And I remember thinking like this guy, this this guy can't possibly be a professional athlete. He's so skinny. And I I think R I P on the minute bowl. I believe he's dead. So look, you're, the human heart can only handle so so much both uh, height and Rhode Island. How cold is Ithaca in January? Lauren Smith asked me that. Lauren, I don't know if you're contemplating going to Cornell or Ithaca College. I'll say this. If you are – let me. no, Lauren, you're, you're too old for that. Maybe your kids are thinking about that. I'm looking at your picture here. No offense. Um, maybe if you're from Texas or Florida, I remember specifically people from Texas and Florida having a real rough go of it in the spring semester because you get there in late January – and it, it's not the cold necessarily, it's the dark and the gray and just the the sun going down at 4 p.m. and sometimes disappearing for days at a time. It's not the Arctic Circle, it's not actually dark out, but it's just overcast all the time and it wears on you. I Like Western New York and the Finger Lakes region might have some of the grumpiest people in the world. And I and I think it's because it's cloudy all the time. If you look at days of cloud cover in Rochester, New York, compared to the Pacific Northwest, I don't think it's all that different. But the Pacific Northwest has more moderate temperatures. Has uh, you know, it's got more natural beauty 365 days a year because you can see green 365 days a year. Where in the winter up north. And especially in Western New York, because you get that moisture coming off the Great Lakes, and it's just cloudy a lot. Between the cold and the gray, it wears on people. And you, the, do you come close to maybe taking an axe to your friends and relatives? Maybe a little bit. You might want to pull a little bit of a shining, but you don't do it. Uh, you take some vitamin D tablets and you soldier on, but it's not necessarily the happiest existence for that first year. Then you adjust to it. You learn that you learn to kind of appreciate being glum. And sometimes there's a certain there's a certain it's a comfort. There's a comfort in being melancholy. And you learn this if you grow up in Western New York and you learn to appreciate other melancholy people. So there's your uh, Cornell and Ithaca College recruiting recruiting visit right now. Let's see. Could you talk about how you started your podcast? I'm a couple episodes into mine and would love some pointers. This one from John Diller. John, uh, who's at seven, not six, those words written out uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'll tell you what, it took a long time. Part of it was just the the technical challenges of it, and I think I should have asked for help sooner. I'm surrounded by a bunch of producers and engineers that could have helped me easily, but I was a little bit intimidated by just even buying the recording equipment, which is now embarrassing because it's all pretty simple. If you go to um, if you go to BSW, that's the website I work with. I think it's Broadcasters Supply Warehouse. They've got some really helpful salespeople, and I talked to them about various packages. I wanted to get something 
that could work in noisier environments if I'm interviewing people at athletic events and everything. So I kind of sprung for some pretty expensive sports broadcasting headsets. And I think so far I'm, I'm starting to figure it out. The other thing is just messing around on whatever editing software you're going to use. It's frustrating at first. And a lot of things that eventually seem pretty intuitive take a little while. So you just got to, you got to spend time hacking away at it. And then beyond that, um, for I'm, I'm lucky because because of my job and because I played football, I can get interviews with people relatively easily. I would say that if you're looking to get interviews with people, take a sales approach and just go with volume and send out a lot of requests. Do a little, do a scintilla of research on people. There's there's something that Abraham Lincoln said once that has served me really well in life, and I'll paraphrase it because I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's. If you talk to people about themselves, they will listen for hours. And there is nothing sweeter to a person's ears than than hearing somebody talk to them about themselves. So, for one, if somebody's written a book, if uh, if somebody's an athlete, athletes hear a lot of praise, so it doesn't work as well on athletes. But particularly writers, um, other podcasters, radio people, if you show that you actually do listen and or read to them and you've got a little bit of insight or perhaps a different angle or a specific question about something they've written, that is as high a praise and compliment and flattery you can have for a person. And, uh, and I think it cuts through a lot of the guards that people have up. So you, you read a book by some dude, let's say about human evolution, and you take notes along the way, and you come up with some good questions, and, and sprinkle that into your email. That goes a whole long way. And I do that with, I do that with interview, when I interview people. If Ideally, I've done a good chunk of research on people, and I don't want to ask the same questions that they've gotten a hundred million times in their lives, because as soon as you do that, um, it becomes almost like small talk. People just go into automatic mode, and they're not really thinking about their answers or their responses. If you actually make somebody pause and think, I think you tend to get better things out of it. So I don't, I don't know what kind of a podcast you're doing, but uh, those that would be my advice for interviews. Uh, beyond that, just whatever your expertise is, always remember that in your area of expertise, a lot of things that seem plain and boring to you are fascinating to other people. So uh, don't ever be afraid of making things sound too simplistic. If you explain things on a one-on-one level to people, a lot of times, especially if they're coming to your podcast for whether you're a musician or you're a scientist or you're uh, or a coach or whatever it might be, there's insight you have that might not even strike you as being insight. Um, and, and that's that's pretty universal, I think. Unless you're boring, then you're screwed. If you're boring, uh, then you're screwed. But I, I trust that you're not boring. You seem like I'm an inquisitive young man. Let's see. I didn't give you the worst vacation stories. My worst vacation story was on that same Rhode Island trip. My brother, who now now is in a very important job and has influence over people, used to torture me. He was a damn sadist for years and years and years in my young childhood. On that same Rhode Island vacation where I met Manute Bowl, my brother one night advanced all the clocks ahead. And as I was asleep, he woke me up. It, it would have been like 10 p.m., but he had me believe that it was 6 a.m. And he, t- he told me, <laughs> he, he woke me up. He shook me. He said, Seth, Seth, wake up. You've been asleep for four days. You slept through the whole vacation. Now we got to go. We're leaving in a half hour. Wake up. And I 
freaked out. I started crying. I started screaming a little bit. Um, and my brother and my mom, uh, my mom came in and I'm not, I'm not going to say she hit my brother because these days that's frowned upon. Let's say that back in the mid eighties, it wasn't as frowned upon to physically discipline your child. So without getting my mom in trouble, uh, she, she, she may or may not have laid hands on my brother at that point. And frankly, he deserved it. He didn't learn a damn thing from it, which is, which is why, uh, one of the reasons I don't personally advocate, uh, hitting your kids anymore. I understand, uh, that, that we've grown beyond it, but at the time we can look back and laugh. Let's see. Uh, we've got some goofy ones. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck? I've missed a few of these. I'm going to, I'm going to go through some of these observations that I had for my most recent vacation. I'll tell you this. I'm sitting right this moment in what will become the deceptively fast mobile studio. It's a van. It's uh, it's not a child molester van. It's like it's got windows. It's a big white Mercedes Sprinter. My plan for this is to have a bunk that folds down in the back. Um, again, I don't want it to look like a creeper van. So when I interview people in here, I'm not gonna have the bunk folded down. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn this into the Me Too van. I'll have that folded up, and I'm getting it set up so I can have four chairs facing each other and having a table in the middle and have my sound equipment set up. So it's pretty easy to to travel places and get interviews with people or just record by myself. And the audio quality should improve as we go along. But for now, what it is is a big old crew van, which is kind of like the basic spare, just uh, bare bones van that I'm guessing was used to transport oil workers because they put 50,000 miles on this thing in 16 months out in El Paso. So I'm guessing that's what this was for. Um, and it's relatively minimalistic. And I've just got one row of seats behind me. And then I've got, I've got a couple mattresses laid back because that's where my daughter and I slept for a good chunk of our vacation on the way up to New York and on back. And we, uh, we ended up, we slept uh, like a total of four nights in the van and then the other nights we had a rental on Canandaigua Lake and I had a blast on the actual drive. I love my van. This is, it's got headroom. My daughter loved it. Uh, we, I, I slept as well in this van as I sleep in any hotel room because I don't have it hooked up for port power yet where I can like hook up to an RV camp. So I just had to keep the diesel running all night long to keep the air conditioning on, but it gives you kind of a nice vibrating. So uh, I slept like a baby in this thing with some earplugs and my breathe right strip and uh, in the the windows blacked out with some blackout shades. It was awesome. The, uh, the, the two things that I've gotten better at as I drive are one, not texting and driving. I've pretty much eradicated that from my playbook ever since my daughter started paying attention. I'd love to say that I was disciplined and smart enough not to text while driving before that. Once my daughter started paying attention and she's three years away from driving, I had to stop. So I, I don't do it anymore. I got really good at using Siri. And I use Siri all the time now for texting and uh, doing a lot of other functions, managing my calendar. And it, it's awesome. It's a pain in the butt sometimes. Sometimes she doesn't understand what you're saying. And I, and I try not to get misogynistic in those moments. I try not to use words like bitch or the C word or anything like that, uh, especially in front of my daughter. But both Siri and my daughter know that sometimes, uh, sometimes some things need to be said. And they are said in those moments. Uh, the other thing is this. My dad... When I grew up and took vacations with my dad, he had this drive, like this need to prove his manliness by getting to places as fast as absolutely possible. And I, like my da, my my half sister Jen could tell you stories. I could tell you stories of times where my my dad would hallucinate 
when he was driving because he's a dairy farmer at the time. He's done, he's done a bunch of different stuff. But it's like he already wasn't getting enough sleep. And then there were times where we'd be going back and forth between New York and North Carolina, and he would see cars on the road that weren't there. And he'd like he, that would happen like three or four times before he'd finally pull over, sleep for ten minutes, and then come back and and smoke ten cigarettes uh, with the windows closed, of course, and uh, and then drive us off to where we're going. I'm painting a weird image of my parents. You guys, you, you younger people, just have to understand how things were in the '70s and '80s. Okay, uh, cigarette smoking, like we knew it was bad for us, but our parents were still kind of stuck in that world where. Everybody smoked or a lot of people had smoked and they hadn't fully grasped how bad it was for you and it hadn't been completely outlawed in so many places. So I spent a lot of time breathing in secondhand smoke when I was younger. I turned out with uh, mild bronchitis and a lot of uh, upper respiratory issues, but otherwise I turned out just fine. So I've, I've rid that from my habits. I used to do the same thing. I used to try to drive and get places all in one shot. Um, I would just I would fight off sleep I would think that it was somehow proving my manhood that I was getting places as fast as possible and uh, I had a few enough close calls that I don't do that anymore the other thing is this that smartphone technology has improved the driving experience immeasurably and I think it's a lot easier to enjoy the driving experience now when you have like every damn song in the universe available on your phone so you never get sick of music ever ever if you have a smartphone and apple music and you get sick of music i don't know what to tell you because you're sick of all the music that's ever existed ever and that you have at your fingertips then there's podcasts so i catch up i listen to a lot of fantasy football podcasts because that's in my mind that's the best way to kind of Give yourself a broad overview of all the themes and topics and challenges of the 32 different teams in the NFL. And I like to try to get ready <clears throat> for the season by doing that. So I, I had 48 total hours of driving where I could do that. And uh, then also audiobooks. I listened to two audiobooks. I listened to David Sedaris, Calypso, <clears throat> and I listened to a Dave Barry book. Dave Barry is a columnist for the Miami Herald, and he's a really funny guy. The one thing I discovered is that I don't I don't enjoy humor books on audio tape. And David Sedaris is the same one. He's a better writer than Dave Barry. Like he's he's almost literary, but he's also he's a, a humorist. And I usually find both those guys really funny in print. With David Sedaris. What I found was that a lot of his stories, which touch on a kind of a lot of painful themes, but he he manages to make them funny. When I'm listening to him instead of reading it, it just sounded painful, and uh, it sounded awful. He had three chapters in his book, maybe four, where it was actually him doing a reading to a live audience, and then those people were laughing at the appropriate moments, and that made it funny. There was a laugh track there, kind of a cue for when it was supposed to be funny, and I think he handled it better too. Dave Barry... Dave Barry, similarly, I think is hilarious when I read him. I just could not find it funny when he's just sitting in there, even though he's doing voices and everything. I couldn't find it funny when he was reading in a studio by himself. He had a couple more poignant moments in his book that I actually liked a lot. It was, um, I think, My Daughter Can Date When She's 40. I think that's the title of the book. I read the Bruce Arians book, and... I liked that a lot. I, I went into it just because the book is called The Quarterback Whisperer. I I had a knee-jerk aversion to that book title. 
and part of it's because here in Houston, we heard Bill O'Brien call the quarterback whisperer so often that you start to dread it because it's a title that people use before somebody's really earned it. Bill O'Brien never called himself a quarterback whisperer, but then it becomes used ironically when Brock Osweiler and Brian Hoyer and Ryan Fitzpatrick aren't all that impressive. People start to call him a, a quarterback whisperer ironically. With Bruce Arians, who's coached some awesome quarterbacks, I kind of always felt like, well, look, do I really know Bruce Arians is all that good of a, a developer of quarterbacks, or is it just that he's happened to work with Ben Roethlisberger, with Peyton Manning, with Andrew Luck, with Carson Palmer? And I, I, I can't say how much he turned Ben Roethlisberger into what he was. Roethlisberger was a young and dumb stud when he got there, and Roethlisberger matured a lot. I think, you know, as Bruce Arians would tell it, it was partly because Bruce Arians – gave him the chance and the opportunity and kind of some tough love to call plays on his own, to run the offense on his own, but he set expecta expectations really high for him. Uh, with Andrew Luck, similarly, I think Andrew Luck was one of those guys that could get paralysis by analysis because he's too smart for his own good at times, and Bruce Arians had to learn and had to manage that. I think, I think more than anything, what I learned about Bruce Arians was – this is a guy who, as so many different players and other coaches would tell you, just has a way with people and has that ultimate perfect blend of uh, a coach that can be a hard ass on the field, but immediately after practice lets all the guys that he coached the hardest, lets them know that he loves them and that he knows they're going to get better and he builds them back up. And those were usually my favorite coaches growing up. I remember – Pete DiStefano and Pete Noyes were two of my favorite coaches at Cornell, and and they would just tear into you on the football field, and they could make you feel three inches small, and not in a way that was abusive or anything. They they, they attacked problems. They didn't attack the person. They attacked the problem, but then they also let you know afterwards how much they love you and how much they care for you and how much they want you to get better, and that makes you the, the yin and the yang in that, the high and the low, makes you want that love so much. Like, it turns you into just somebody that's trying so hard to please their father. Frank Gantz was the coach I had in the NFL who, A, taught me to tackle, and B, taught me that phrase, attack the problem, not the person. And he was a special teams coach who was an old Annapolis guy. He'd been a fighter jet pilot um, in the Navy. In the Navy. And then he went on, he was a head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs for a little while, but mostly he made his name and his mark as a special teams coach. His, co uh, his son is still coaching in the league, uh, Frank Gantz Jr. So Frank Gantz Sr. Was, was one, he was a really good lecturer. He would get up and just give like history channel speeches about – about boxing, about special forces, about fighter pilots, uh, about Navy SEALs, all these things, and relay it to football. But then he also, he had tackling broken down to a science. And it's not the rugby-style tackling, which I think is awesome today, and I wholeheartedly advocate. I hope more and more football coaches start to teach rugby-style tackling. This was different. This was more old school. But he had it broken down to exactly how you attack a player, um, yeah, how you divide his body into quarters, how you strike with the same arm, same leg at the same time like a boxer does. Then he would show us old fights, you know, old old boxing matches uh, to, to illustrate his points. We'd get a highlight reel of the best hits from around the league every week. And it was just awesome. But he would also just tear you a new one, like up and down. If you messed up, especially if you had an error in effort, 
if, if you weren't busting your ass 100%, he was going to let you know about it. But at the same time, when you corrected the problem, he'd build you up better than anybody. So uh, that's those those are three of my favorites. I don't even remember how we got into this topic because we're talking about driving. Uh, I'll tell you this also. Oh, because of Bruce Arians. We're talking about Bruce Arians. So I, I really I really enjoyed the book. I think he took a little too long to get into the good, juicy stories. He almost started the first third of the book talking more about his philosophy. He told a story about Kelly Holcomb before he ever even got into Peyton Manning or anybody else like that, which I, I guess I understand because I think he went somewhat chronologically no, he didn't. He didn't. He should have. He should have led with some Peyton Manning stories. So uh, that that was I, there's some minor criticisms for that. But look, look, it's not a literary masterpiece. It's a football coach uh, basically telling his story to a ghostwriter, and then the ghostwriter dressing it up a little bit. And it was a good story. I learned. Uh, I learned a few things about evaluating quarterbacks. If you are looking for a casual, quick, easy, and fun summer read, that's a good one. This is one thing that occurred to me. I, while I was in upstate New York, I visited my grandmother who turned 91 years old. So we celebrated her birthday. A bunch of my cousins, uh, a bunch of my half sisters, my brother and my sister all managed to make it to my grandmother's nursing home where she's just having a blast, by the way. I think at this point, it's not, it's not a nursing home. It's not assisted living, but she's living in one of those facilities where she has an apartment that if she needs assisted living, she just adds that service to it, and then there's a nursing home adjacent to it if she ever needs that. But she's chugging along like a champ at 91. And one thing that's happened with my grandmother is that she's softened remarkably as she's gotten older. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, she's one of those older people who all of her best attributes really came to the forefront as, as she got older. And it's been really cool to see, and it's, it's something to shoot for, I think, personally. And, and I, I noticed this with a couple other older people. I, I ran into one of my coaches um, and then one of my friend's grandparents too. Uh, well, I'm sorry, excuse me, one of my friend's parents. And I just, I don't know, like, what can we do as people to accelerate that process? Because I know so many people that have become kinder, gentler people as they've gotten older. And you just wonder, all right, what, like, why couldn't you be like this when you were 40? Because it would have been awesome. Life would have been a whole lot different. And I don't know, I don't know if you can do much because probably a lot of it is tied up in the stress of, of parenting and providing for a family, which can be very, very stressful, especially if you're in a farming family. Um, and especially if maybe some of your kids aren't always, living their lives the way you'd want to live. I think it can be kind of stressful. So that, <coughs> excuse me, I contemplated that a lot on the way home, just trying to figure out, all right, how can I, how can I perhaps become uh, a, a gentler, nicer person before my daughter leaves the house? I would like her to remember, I think my daughter has a good time. We have fun, and I'm, I'm not th- having rants at home the way I have rants on the radio at times, uh, especially when, when people call draw plays on third and eight uh, when you're down in the opponent's red zone. But uh, I, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is other than, uh, oh, another book. This book that I'm actually listening to, I read once before, but I listen to a lot now pretty regularly. It's helped me out a lot. I, I believe it was a bestseller last year. It's called Hardwiring Happiness or Hardwired for Happiness. But it's it's a book that's about how you can – theoretically change the physiology of your brain by teaching it to 
recognize, accept, and absorb positive experiences, that our brains are kind of hardwired to recognize threats and to respond to threats and notice threats more than we are to notice the good things because for millions of years that's what kept us alive. Uh, That's what kept us away from violent chimpanzees, uh, kept us away from eagles that might swoop down and uh, and get us when we were just tiny little two, three-foot creatures. All those things that are ingrained in us to recognize and remember and respond to threats can kind of undo us where we live in this world where there are so many perceived threats all over the place. And, and in our minds, we recognize and perceive some of these, th- these threats like they're a saber-toothed tiger when, no, it's actually just it's an email from your landlord. Uh, it's, a, it's somebody that's being mean to you in traffic. It's all these things. But they accumulate and they they can kind of create this vicious cycle where you become a more negatively focused person. So uh, to, to sum it up very succinctly and probably inaccurately, by learning to recognize and focus the positive focus on the positive things that are going on in your life and then lingering on them for at least 45 seconds to a minute, you could theoretically just change the way your hippocampus and your amygdala and your brain operate and that you can actually augment and improve their ability to recognize and focus on those good things. So I listen to about a 10-minute snippet of that a day, and it's made a big difference in my life. I'm, I'm still going to flip out from time to time, and I'm still going to probably have confrontations with people and, and all that. Because, look, sometimes you have to have a confrontation. But it's, um, I think it's softened me in a good way, not in a bad way, somewhat. So those are some of my those are some of my experiences. I repurchased a Fitbit while I was on vacation. I've lost two of them. I always drag my feet on replacing it because theoretically I'd like to think that I should go out and walk every day regardless. So that, like that, that that would be ingrained in me as a habit. It's not. As soon as I lose the Fitbit, I come up with all manner of excuses for not going out and walking. I love it. I think I've I've experienced more of this city uh, of Houston that I live in. I've met more people. I've gone out and seen things that I wouldn't have otherwise seen because I'm out walking a lot more instead of just being trapped in my car. I'm taking a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of walks. The Thai soccer team. This was one of the, I'm going to call it a sports story because it's a soccer team, damn it. And it's during the world cup. Um, I don't know if I could say anything original about this. And now that the kids are being extracted as we speak and that, I, I had kind of been of the mind that if I were a parent of those kids, especially after that Thai Navy diver died, that I wanted no part of them trying to navigate that five-hour dive back to safety. I'd rather have them just figure out a way to pump air into that chamber and keep them alive until the monsoons were over in November. Uh, but, gosh, uh, kudos, to, kudos to Thailand and all the various – forces from around the world that have swooped in there to help those kids out they're they're extracting them now with a bunch of kids who couldn't swim and definitely couldn't scuba dive are being taken out through about the scariest situation possible uh and this is why the take that i had a week ago if i had actually set it into a microphone i'd be a little bit embarrassed by and it was this i i have enough of a notion of american exceptionalism perhaps an irrational uh feeling about american exceptionalism that i didn't like hearing that the Thai Navy called their divers the Navy SEALs too. I, I felt like we should have that trademarked. I, there's enough of me just like my stubborn, ignorant American pride that can't possibly accept that another country might have Navy SEALs and that maybe they're as good as our Navy SEALs. I still won't. I won't allow myself to accept that, except now after watching these guys operate, uh, and especially after after the one – guy died this uh this past weekend 
I I feel bad about that original take. I'm going to tell you that I had the take, uh, so I'm, I'm not completely off the hook for it. But uh, I've got a lot of respect for those people because I'm pretty claustrophobic, and the thought of squeezing through narrow passages in water that has the visibility of dark coffee, uh, I don't know what I would do with it. This question did come up, and my brother-in-law and I discussed this for probably longer than we should have. If you had to choose between being that Thai soccer team Baby Jessica, but an adult baby Jessica. Remember, she was trapped in that well in Midland, Texas for 58 hours. 58 hours trapped in that tiny well. Um, So imagine yourself as an adult doing that. Or the 33 Chilean coal miners who spent 69 days in that cave. If I were to power rank those, I think I would go... I'd most like to be one of the 33 Chilean coal miners because I think after the initial collapse... Uh, it wasn't too long before rescuers bored a hole with supplies to them. So they were on minimal rations for a while, but they also had a foreman who kept them in line and gave them chores and duties. And I think that was enough of a conventional situation where everybody knew where they were and you knew they were going to be able to get to them and extract them. It was just a matter of like, okay, how do you maintain your sanity while trapped underground for 69 days? And I'd like to, I'm going to go see that movie. I read an account of it in uh, I, I kind of wondered, like, okay, what the, how the hell can you make a movie out of that? And then I read the Wikipedia of it, and I teared up. I teared up at the Wikipedia of the 33 Chilean coal miners. So that would be my most easy one that I would prefer to do. So it, between Baby Jessica for 58 hours or the 13 Thai soccer teammates and coach, I'm going to have to say I would rather be <sighs> – Baby Jessica, I, like when I have to do an MRI for 45 minutes, I, I have to constantly do breathing exercises and calm myself down because I freak out. I start imagining what what would happen if there was an earthquake and I'm trapped right there or what happens if the technician has a heart attack and he can't get me out. And I'm you got to remember, I'm a bigger guy. I'm wedged into those MRI machines. So that freaks me out. But once you're discovered – you know that help is on the way, and then it's a matter of keeping yourself calm for 58 hours. I think about those Thai soccer kids for being in darkness for a week and having to climb away from rising water, and then once you're found, not knowing whether they're going to be able to extract you or not, and that you're going to have to swim five hours through water wearing scuba gear for the first time in your life, I think I'd rather be baby Jessica. Because after a while, I'd settle into my own, I'd settle into my little dirt cocoon there, and I would know that people were trying to get me out, and it wasn't too ridiculously cold. So, baby Jessica second, except that would be adult Sethi, um, adult Sethica over baby Jessica, and then the soccer teammates dead last. But uh, hopefully, and I, I haven't updated that in the last five hours or so, so I don't know uh, exactly where that is other big things that happened in the nfl well i was gone on vacation julian edelman who had been suspended for four games for violation of the performance enhancing drug policy he had appealed that based on a whole lot of of administrative errors that he and his representation claimed that the nfl made um that's a hard one to prove typically it i look i've taken enough of those drug tests that They've got a pretty refined system with a lot of fail-safes in it. There's a whole lot of duplication. Uh, The player has to sign a document like each step of the process to say that this part of the process was done. And 
you know, between the taking of the sample until it gets sent to the lab, it's pretty hard to screw that up. I think perhaps they argued that something happened at the lab. Um, I don't. I, I've I've gotten increasingly sympathetic to guys who say that they don't know what happened because I think frankly that does happen now. The testing is very sensitive. We've seen various instances, whether it's Dwayne Brown in the NFL. Um, I, I can't remember the boxer who recently tested positive for clenbuterol, both because they ate Mexican beef, and in Mexico they use clenbuterol in the beef. Clenbuterol is a banned substance. If you eat enough beef, it can show up in your urine, and that you get popped as a PED. Um, some of the steroids and some of the designer steroids especially, I, I, I know some people were trying to hang their hat on saying, well, the substance wasn't recognized. It wasn't a recognized anabolic agent. Well, the, this is what they do. Most anabolic steroids are some kind of a derivative of testosterone. Uh, all of them alter the testosterone molecule in some way. Uh, and that's what a lot of these drugs are, the designer steroids are just alterations of other steroids or alterations of testosterone that hadn't been done before. So they can't look at the mass spectrometer and know exactly what the substance is, but they can look at it and say, well, that's a testosterone-like substance, and or it's a substance that's very close to another hormone that you're not allowed to use or another substance that you're not allowed to use. There's monkey business afoot. The problem is that some supplement companies – have been known to spike their supplements with illegal steroids. That's why, as an athlete, you never take anything that isn't pharmaceutical-grade stuff. I'm talking protein powder, whatever it might be. Uh, you, you have to be extremely vigilant and careful about what you put in your body. But I think there are guys that either sometimes get caught by unscrupulous doctors um, or what have you or people that maybe, maybe encourage you not to ask questions and maybe there's a little bit of a complicit – uh, part of the athlete just not wanting to ask too many questions. Cause I, I was approached by all manner of shady dudes back in the day that ultimately I found out were just shooting their guys with steroids. Uh, well, Belko is the one I was thinking of specifically. Um, somebody had recommended Belko because all I knew of Belko, and that was the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative. Those were the guys that were working with Barry Bonds and the ball players and the Oakland Raiders and a bunch of guys that ended up getting pinched. Their their kind of hook for people was saying that they were going to analyze all the vitamins in your urine. You're going to do a 24-hour urine sample, and they're going to analyze exactly what you need, and then they're going to tailor a multivitamin and supplements for you to take, which is a pretty good hook. You know, you've got scientists and biologists, or at least people that are presenting themselves as biologists, saying that they're going to fine-tune your nutrition. But the thing that turned me off to it was they, they told me before I took this test to stop taking all my vitamins. And I'm like, well, no, I want to take my vitamins that I'm taking right now, and if they're doing the trick and I don't have any deficiencies, then I have no need for your services. But instead, they're telling me don't take any vitamins so we can see exactly where it is a baseline. And it was like for like it was like three grand or something. So I said, screw you guys, and probably might have been the luckiest thing that ever happened to me because I if if they had come to me after they'd had me on the multivitamin t uh, regimen for a while and said, hey, Seth, we've got this stuff. Don't worry, it's not steroids, it's just the clear, and we're going to inject it into you, and you'll be just fine, no big deal. I probably would have fallen for it. And I don't know how cognizant those guys were of what exactly they were taking, but there are some shady dudes out there that you just flat out have to stay away from. And all that 
to say that, look, Julian Edelman got popped doing something he shouldn't have been doing, even if he maybe was ignorant in doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. He shouldn't have been ignorant. He, he's been in the league too long, and he knows the score better than that to be taking shady supplements or taking advice from anybody else. So this is a guy who's going to come back in his mid-30s, coming off of ACL surgery, and they they – they did that thing they do. The NFL dumped this and a couple other suspension items on Tuesday afternoon right before the right before the 4th of July, which is that's their news dump where it's going to get little attention and Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk always makes a huge deal about this and he feels like he needs to point it out every time there's a holiday news dump or a Friday news dump. Frankly, as a player, I'm okay with it. Like if I were Julian Edelman, I want that to be announced. Like, I want any negative news about me to be announced when the fewest people are paying attention. And I don't I don't particularly know why people get worked up about it. If it's a big enough story, then it's still going to be around on Monday. Seth Payne will talk about it on his podcast a week later. Um, it's out there. So I, But Florio did do one other thing. I just remembered this. Florio broke a story that wasn't even actual news and had actually been in the PED policy for the, this entire CBA. But as Florio was doing his research, I think, to talk about Edelman or perhaps somebody else, he discovered this little clause in the CBA in the performance-enhancing drug policy that says that if a player tests positive, but then he cooperates with the NFL in basically snitching on other athletes or on the people who have helped him, then he could have his suspension reduced by half. So instead of being a four-game suspension, being a two-game suspension. This got a ton of clicks. For, like, Florio reporting something that had already been out there but just nobody had ever really paid attention to, I've read through a whole bunch of the policy in the CBA, and I, that never I, that never stuck out to me. So kudos to Florio. That got a whole bunch of clicks and comments on his website. Um, and I think with good reason. People love stories about snitches. The thing is, I don't think anybody's ever actually done this, which to their credit, whether it's Lane Johnson, who's gotten pinched twice for PEDs or other people, I don't think that anybody has done it because if they did, then all of a sudden somebody would be getting a two-game suspension for PEDs, and that would be a huge red flag because that doesn't happen. So uh, the only thing that maybe could happen is when they do that two-game suspension, perhaps they say it's a suspension for something else. I don't know if the NFL would go that far to to cloak them or to basically put them in the witness protection program, uh, but maybe they would announce it as a substance of abuse suspension or something like that. I don't know. Um, I, I, I have a hard time seeing a player do that unless he felt, you know, if a player felt like he'd been lied to by an athletic trainer, then I'd say go for it, man. I'd say, look, that's the one instance where if you genuinely thought that you were taking a B shot, a vitamin B shot or something, but that guy was giving you steroids because he knew it was going to make him look better as a personal trainer, I'd say bombs away on that MFR. Then that guy doesn't deserve any kind of loyalty from you after they lie to you. So uh, I think that's it. Oh, Trell Owens. Trell Owens would be the other, one other news item. Trell Owens, who announced that instead of going to the Hall of Fame induction, he had announced that a couple weeks ago, but he hadn't said exactly what he was going to do. He announced last week that he's going to deliver a speech in the afternoon of the Hall of Fame inductions at his alma mater, the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. 
Uh, all of you know the powerhouse that is the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, a place where in Terrell Owens' senior season, I went back and looked, they had more than 10,000 people in attendance at a home game. Uh, I think it was only once that entire season. Perhaps it was twice. Look, I'm not I'm not digging on the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. I went to a school where we were lucky to get 10,000 people. Uh, I am curious, though, just how much of a turnout he's going to get. That's not... That's not an Alabama. That's not a University of Tennessee. That's not some place that routinely draws 100,000-plus people to football games. So the lore surrounding Terrell Owens, who actually didn't have all that great a senior season either because people were so focused on him on that level. Like he was the guy, and they focused on him a lot. So I, I just hope for Terrell Owens' sake that he figures out what the hell he's doing in this lifetime because there seems to be – there seems to be a blockade between his ego and the real world that keeps him from being able to enjoy the real world. And frankly, life is too short for that. So, you know what you have to do. You have to hardwire your brain for happiness, Trell. You got you to gotta read that book. You got to start training your amygdala and your hippocampus and all the other organs that I can't remember or parts of your brain to recognize the good and soak it in, man. You are awesome, one of the best ever, uh, and you should appreciate yourself as much as the rest of the world does. That is it for today. We will be adding some more interviews later this week, and as we get closer to football season, I'll probably have a little bit more structure to this. We'll start off with some football news every time before we move into my various ramblings and interviews but thank you all for listening please 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 feel free to give me a positive review on itunes and tell all your friends uh, about the deceptively fast podcast i will see you next time this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.